1: Tonight on The Readout.
2: I went to the first person I found, crouching in the bushes, uh, looked like she was praying, and uh, felt for a pulse. There was no pulse, so I pulled her head up to look at her face, and there wasn't a face. Just praying matter. So, I went to the next guy. He was already staring straight ahead. His eyes were fixed and dilated. Felt for a pulse, no pulse.
1: Mass murder has become a regular occurrence in red states like Texas, as Republicans keep trying to gaslight us about how the guns somehow have nothing to do with it. Plus, new information on the eight victims, including three children. Also tonight, the new, more conservative CNN has decided to give a megaphone to Donald Trump at the same time that he's being investigated for fomenting an insurrection, among other alleged crimes. Plus, the blowback from parts of the British Commonwealth especially in the Caribbean, following this weekend's lavish and anachronistic coronation. But we begin tonight with a question. Is it safe to go to the mall in a red state? What about a restaurant or a nightclub? What's your likelihood of getting shot? Over the weekend, seven people were shot and one killed during a Cinco de Mayo party in Mississippi. Four people were shot at a nightclub in Virginia. And then in Allen, Texas, on Saturday, a man pulled up to the Allen Premium Outlets Mall about 25 miles north of Dallas, got out of his car with an AR-15 style assault weapon and opened fire. He shot eight people dead before a police officer who happened to be at the mall on an unrelated assignment shot and killed him. We now know who the victims are, including three children, one as young as three years old. The other victims include Q. Song Cho, age 37, Cindy Cho, age 35, Christian LaCour, pictured here, age 23. He was a security guard at the mall. His grandmother, Sandra Montgomery, shared on Facebook. Elio Kumana Rivas, age 32, and Aishwara Thatikonda, age 26. We also know about the shooter, who was a 33-year-old suspected Nazi sympathizer dressed to kill wearing a tactical vest and armed with an assault rifle and a handgun. More weapons and ammunition were found in his car. At the time of the massacre, he was wearing a patch on his chest that included the acronym RWDS, according to law enforcement officials. Authorities believe the letters stand for right-wing death squad, a phrase used in far-right online spaces. Right-wing death squad is a moniker that's also appeared on the t-shirts and tats of the Proud Boys. Some of whom, including their former leader, Enrique Tarrio, were recently found guilty of seditious conspiracy in the January 6th attack on the Capitol. The shooter, like Tarrio, was Hispanic. So yes, you can be non-white and also pro-Nazi. Weird world. It's been just one week since a different Texas gunman massacred five of his neighbors, including a nine-year-old boy whose father had asked him to stop firing rounds in his yard because a baby was trying to sleep. And the Allen, Texas mall attack is the deadliest attack of the year since the ballroom massacre that left 11 people dead in Southern California. So this is what America is now everywhere, but especially in red states. Per the CDC, the states with the highest gun death rates are all red states, with the exception of New Mexico, while the lowest gun death rates are found in blue states. But let's face it, we are all literally on a Russian roulette lottery, just waiting for it to be our turn to run screaming from gunfire. And if you manage to not get dead in a mall, at a restaurant, in the Walmart or another store, at a concert, at church, in school, in third grade, in high school, or in college, or even inside your own home, consider yourself lucky, because America is a shooting gallery. Again, especially the red states. And all that Republicans have to offer for this state of constant terror our thoughts and prayers one Texas lawmaker even doubled down on it after all god works in mysterious ways many people argue that prayers aren't cutting it prayers are not preventing the next mass shooting what is your response to that criticism
2: well those are people that don't believe in uh, an almighty god who who has who is absolutely in control of our lives I'm a Christian. I believe that he is. And I know people want to make this political, but prayers are important and they are powerful in the families who are devastated right now.
1: Hmm. And here's the response of Dean Cain, former actor and let's face it, the worst Superman, who also sits on the board of the NRA, the premier death merchant in America, in that it owns Lock, Stock and Barrel, an entire political party whose members have been trained to love guns More than they love your or even their own children. Kane tweeted in response to the Texas mall shooting, quote, I prefer dangerous freedom over peaceful slavery. A perfect encapsulation of the NRA and Republican point of view. Unless you think Cain is smart enough to have composed that line, you should know that he was quoting Thomas Jefferson, who actually wrote it in Latin: Malo, periculosum libertatum quam quietum servitutum. In 1987, Jefferson was writing to his fellow slaveholder, James Madison, about Shays' Rebellion, a violent uprising by Massachusetts farmers that began the previous year. The farmers, led by a man called Daniel Shays, a veteran of the Revolutionary War, were debt ridden and opposed the excessive Massachusetts property taxes and penalties imposed upon them after the war. Eventually, hundreds would march to the state armory, threatening to overthrow the government, January 6th style. But the attempt was unsuccessful. Jefferson's attitude about all of that was, I hold it that a little rebellion now and then is a good thing, since at least liberty and democracy were better than monarchy. Jefferson, of course, didn't think that about the liberty of the men, women, and children he enslaved, including the teenager he was serially serially raping. A little rebellion by them would have brought on a whipping. But I digress. At that time that Jefferson wrote that line, that Dean Cain would later use to demonstrate his callousness toward dead children at a mall, There was no Second Amendment because there was no U.S. Constitution. America was still under the Articles of Confederation. George Washington wouldn't become president of the United States until the actual Constitution was enacted in 1789. And the precious Second Amendment wouldn't even be adopted until two years after that, in 1791, in the shadow of yet another violent citizens' rebellion, the Whiskey Rebellion in Pennsylvania, which was also about high taxes. Slaveholder George Washington was so enraged by the Shays' Rebellion that he wrote letters excoriating these kinds of armed uprisings, saying in one letter to his military aide, David Humphreys, "'Commotions of this sort, like snowballs, "'gather strength as they roll, "'as if there is no opposition, "'if there is no opposition in the way "'to divide and crumble them. "'I am mortified beyond expression "'that in the moment of our acknowledged independence, "'we should, by our conduct, verify the predictions of our transatlantic foe and render ourselves ridiculous and contemptible in the eyes of all Europe. How ironic that today we find ourselves rendered ridiculous and contemptible in the eyes of all Europe due to our gun massacres. The founders that Republicans worship hated rebellions, farmers' rebellions, slave rebellions, and they wrote in an amendment designed to quell them, not to encourage them. By writing into law the state militias that all white men in the 13 states were required to serve in with their privately held muskets. Shays' rebellion was put down when a group of wealthy Boston merchants put together a militia to put down the revolting farmers. The Second Amendment was written to ensure public order, not public chaos. The author of the Second Amendment, as it turns out, was Jefferson's slave-holding pen pal, James Madison. The idea that its intention was to encourage more uprisings, like January 6th, as some Republicans have hinted, is ridiculous. The idea that it was written to make mass shootings possible in a future these men of the 18th century couldn't possibly foresee is evil. Because what Republicans are basically saying is that their precious Second Amendment is a suicide pact, a murder pact, and a national consent to get slaughtered at the mall. Joining me now is Democratic State Senator Roland Gutierrez, whose district includes Uvalde, site of last year's elementary school mass shooting. And Shannon Watts, founder of Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. I do want to start with you, State Senator Gutierrez, um, to just respond to this latest round of useless thoughts and prayers from your state's leaders.
2: Well, thank you, Joy, for having me. Uh, Listen, I think that we've all just had enough with the prayers Uh, we want you know, common sense gun solutions. We want to get something done because that's what the citizenry across this state and across this nation deserve. We're living in a state of chaos right now, and it's chaos that has been wholly created by Greg Abbott, Dan Patrick, and others. They have created a system in place over the last 10 years or so where they have, we have a loose and lax system of gun laws. There really are no gun laws in Texas, not the kind of gun laws that Shannon Watts and others would like to see. The kind of gun laws that Republicans pose are how to give access to more militarized weaponry in the state of Texas. Uh, in point in fact, we've gotten very far this year in that we've got a good bill that got out of the House today uh, sadly, I don't think it's going anywhere. We need to stop praying we need to start doing something about this. The people in Uvalde, these people in Allen, Texas, and beyond are demanding we do something.
1: And to talk about that bill, to stay with you for a second, Senator, so this was a surprise bill. Um, after this shooting, the Texas, a Texas House panel has okayed a bill that would raise the age to buy semi-automatic rifles. What people, I think, across the country don't understand, that gun regulation really applies to pistols. If you want a rifle, even if it's a semi-automatic rifle, basically the civilian equivalent of an M16, you can just buy one, you know, at like a sporting goods store or like a pawn shop. So you don't think that that modest bill out of the House can pass through the Senate or the full House?
2: Well, sadly, as you just said, Joy, we have an age limit on handguns. We have no age limit on AR-15s. Uh, to your point, you can't pick up an AR-15 if you're 18 in all of those shows at all of the gun shops, but you can also pick one up at a gun show where you don't even have to show an ID. This is the kind of system that these government, that these Republicans have put in place. No ID, all you gotta do is say that you're a US citizen and you you haven't had a felony. If you're not buying from an authorized dealer at the gun convention, then you walk out with your fully loaded AR-15 and because of the laws that the Republicans have put in place, you can walk down Congress Avenue in Austin, Texas And no cop can even stop you or ask you a question. That's just complete and utter chaos. But that's the state of affairs in Texas. And believe it or not, that happens in Texas daily. We have people that want to do their demonstrations in that way. We're completely lost. It's sad, but I don't think that this bill is going to go any further. But listen, Hope Springs eternal. Those Uvalde families have worked very hard. I had lunch with them today and they're going to continue working. We've got to continue putting pressure on those Republican House committee chairs in the calendars committee. I urge everybody in Texas to call their state legislator and demand that we do something now on this issue.
1: Uh, Shannon, let me go to you, because, you know, um, Texas had nine mass shootings um, in the past 14 years. And all that's happened, as the senator has pointed out, is that they just made the gun laws looser in the state of Texas. In fact, the governor of Texas, uh, he tweeted the following in 2015. I'm embarrassed. Texas is number two in the nation for new gun purchases behind California. Let's pick up the pace, Texans. And he put the tag, the NRA, in that. And and to that point about the AR-15, I mean, if if more guns made— you know, the state, state more safe, as you have tweeted, Texas will be the safest state in the union. It said it is the massacre capital of the world, not just the United States. Um, Eugene Stoner, who invented the AR-15 in the late 1950s, and this is what his family said, had no interest in civilians using his invention, according to C. Reed Knight, who considers Stoner his mentor. He looked at this thing (coughs) as only for the military side of the house, Knight said, adding that Stoner would have been horrified by the idea that he invented the tool of all this carnage in the schools. This was invented for the military, and yet if you have a mind to do a mass shooting, you can pick one up on your way to the mass shooting without any background check, Your thoughts on the fact that that is the state of affairs Republicans would like to continue forever.
3: Well, I mean, that's the reporting that's coming out now about the mass shooter in Allen, Texas, that in fact, his guns were bought by an unlicensed seller, probably without a background check. Um, Millions of guns are sold this way in this country every year because of that loophole that exists that we need to close at a federal level. We have closed it in over 20 states, but at the same time, The NRA is going state by state and passing something called permitless carry, which recently passed in Texas, which means you can carry a hidden loaded handgun in public with absolutely no background check, no permit, and no safety training. And as you said, if more guns and fewer gun laws made us safer, Texas would be the safest state in the country. Instead, they're home to half of the deadliest mass shootings in this country. And gun homicides in the state of Texas have gone up 90% in the last decade. When will the guns make us safer? The answer is never. And lawmakers know that. They want to debate prayers. They want to debate mental illness. They want to debate evil. The reality is that we are giving citizens unfettered access to arsenals and ammunition, and that is why we have a 25 times higher gun homicide rate than any peer nation. It is the guns.
1: Uh, and the question I have is, you know, at what point does tourism get affected? I, I don't know how anybody would feel comfortable walking through a mall in the state of Texas or Virginia or Louisiana or Mississippi. I wouldn't. I mean, it, 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 it's at this point not safe, right, to go out. And you can't even be in your home because of in there as well. And yet this is—I want to show you, um, Shannon, just for a moment. This is an ad by Tate Reeves. He's running for a re-election as governor in the state of Mississippi. This is the ad that he put out. This is his launch ad. This is him cosplaying as Clint Eastwood, shooting people of color. This is what American uh, Republican candidates for office do now. They sort of cosplay themselves as killers and murderers, and somehow that is how they appeal to voters. But what do you make of the fact that in reality, these mass shooters generally are not regular long-time gun owners. They're people who have a mind and cross the mental Rubicon to do a killing, and then they buy guns, and they generally buy the AR-15 even gun owners can't unite around that. That isn't affecting them. It's just affecting murderers. But it seems that Republicans want them protected and they promote the idea of mass killing
3: in their ads. What we have seen is that guns have become an organizing principle among the right wing, right? That they have become a way to get people in the door and to excite them around a whole host of issues that have nothing to do with guns and to bring in money. That's why you're seeing ads like that. That's why you're seeing shooters like we've seen, you know, white supremacists. Um, They're all part of this right wing base that is being excited by the gun lobby's rhetoric. I wish that one policy, one protest, um, one social media post would solve this. It won't. It is the unglamorous heavy lifting of grassroots activism. It is showing these lawmakers that there are consequences for inaction. You and the senator were talking about the bill that got out of committee today. That bill never should have gotten out of committee. Why did it move today? Because over a 100 Moms Demand Action volunteers and Uvalde survivors and other gun safety advocates showed up and screamed cowards at these lawmakers as they walked through the House. And they knew there were going to be consequences for their inaction. Will it go another step further? I don't know. But this is how we force change in America. And we've got to get away from our screens and we've got to get off the sidelines. We are having huge events all over this country this Saturday before Mother's Day. I would ask people watching to text the word RALLY to 64433. We have to use our voices and our votes on this issue.
1: And Senator, you're a politician, wouldn't the most, uh, the strongest rebuke for a politician and the one thing that would scare them is getting voted out, right? And yet, Greg Abbott got re-elected. His attorney general, who's under federal investigation, got reelected. If people are going to keep reelecting these people, they're going to learn nothing, my assumption is. Is there anything short of voting out every single person who refuses to take action on guns? Is there any other solution besides that? I don't know what mass lawsuits against gun companies. Give give us some ideas.
2: You know, Joy, uh, sadly, we can't even do mass lawsuits against gun com- companies because Congress created something called PLACA, the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act. Believe it or not, you can sue big tobacco, you can sue big beer, but you can't sue big guns because people in Congress thought that that was a good idea. Many of these companies market to, to young people um, with regard to th- these people that keep getting reelected in Texas. There is not one more important issue in in my whole life, in my whole career, going back and going forward that is more important than this. I've seen all of the body cam footage. I've seen children with their faces blown off uh, inside of that school in Uvalde. I've seen imagery that I can't get out of my head that I go to bed at night thinking about. It. I wake up thinking about it. I'm going to campaign all over this state and I'm going to get people to vote and do everything in my power because because we must, we have to be able to change things. There is not an issue out there, not a inflationary issue, not a high cost of gas or anything. That is as important as this. If you don't have your child, you have nothing. Two little girls died, a fourth grader and a, two, and a second grader died on Saturday, along with six other people. We need to be cognizant of the fact in this country that this is right around the corner from all of us. And we have the power to change things and we have the power to do things. Our legislators, we don't need to be praying. We need to create laws. That's the Bible that I believe in. God gives us free will to do things. And to the voters at home, God gives you the power to vote these people out.
1: Yeah. Amen. Uh, and I will note there is a six year old little boy um, from a Korean American family who now has no family because his entire family was wiped out in that mall. And last note, I will give for our audience to the people of Massachusetts voted in a Democratic legislature. I'm not saying Democrats are perfect, but they changed the laws so significantly that made it uncomfortable for one of the oldest gun companies in America to stay in Massachusetts. Guess where they're moving? Tennessee. So they're going to bring the death merchantry to a red state. I think that says a lot about America. Y'all need to start voting these people out. Texas State Senator Roland Gutierrez, Shannon Watts, thank you. Up next on the readout, the catastrophic collision of two cultural plagues, gun fanaticism and white supremacy. The readout continues after this.
0: Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards.
1: Investigators are searching for a motive in the horrific mass shooting at a Dallas area mall over the weekend that left eight people dead, including multiple children. Two senior law enforcement officials tell NBC News that the 33 year old shooter was a neo-Nazi sympathizer and the shooting is being investigated as a case of racial or ethnically motivated violent extremism. Those beliefs are further exemplified by a social media account linked to him with white supremacist, racist, and neo-Nazi ideology. And joining me now is Clint Watts, former consultant with the FBI Counterterrorism Division and MSNBC National Security Analyst and Ben Collins, NBC News Senior Reporter. Thank you both for being here. Clint, I do want to start with you. So this person, just to give his background, he's got a military background. He was in the military for like three months uh, before he was booted for a physical or mental condition, did not complete basic training. Um, He had this right-wing death squad patch on, which we have seen the proud, boys wear. We have a picture of um, the shooter showing this right wing. There he is showing the RWDS patch. And on the right, we have member Jeremy Bertino of the Proud Boys, who has pleaded guilty to seditious conspiracy. Um, That was from the posting. The thing on the left is the posting that he made on his social networking platform, which is a Russian one. OK.RU. And I have one more thing to show you. This is Enrique Tarrio, who just got convicted of seditious conspiracy, also wearing a vest with RWDS. Um, explain this tie to the military and to neo-Nazism, particularly since this person is Hispanic and not white.
5: Yeah, Joy, I, one thing I would note is over the last probably decade, but particularly during the social media era, you see a blending of ideologies. It's really a choose your own adventure of extremist ideologies. And that really, uh, you know, end of ISIS era or rise of domestic extremism, you could see this pretty consistently. People staying at home, picking their ideology, whatever their hateful ideology is and mixing and matching it. So there's already suggestions that it wasn't just uh, white supremacy. It was also incel misogyny. Uh, it wasn't just, uh, you know, white supremacists and misogyny it was also connections to Russian platforms. This is highly common in, in these online spaces. You'll see a lot of overlap between these groups. That's why you'll see it uh, showing up a group like the Proud Boys having that patch that. You know, inspires other uh, individuals in extremist circles. I think the key point of this is the online space is the connective tissue. In person, it is the access to weapons. I mean, just rapid access to weapons. Someone has an ideology, they want to decide to do it. Uh, there's an idea known as accelerationism. Let's accelerate a race war just by producing violence and, and indiscriminate targeting. Just to do that is a sign that they wanted to escalate the violence to try and tip off others or to inspire others as well.
1: And, you know, online, Ben, you have a lot of people on the right just saying that there's no way that this guy was a neo-Nazi. There's no way they had right-wing ideology because he's Hispanic, saying that's not possible. I mean, the rise is, I mean, there's a piece in Axios that talks about the rise of white nationalist Hispanics. Experts tell Axios far-right extremism within the Latino community stems from three sources, Hispanic Americans who identify as white, the spread of Mm -hmm. online misinformation, lingering anti-black, anti-Semitic views among U.S. Latinos that are rarely openly discussed. You know, I give you Enrique Tarrio and Nick Fuentes, who are both members of extremist groups, and this guy in particular wrote something on his own platform where he put, there's a right way and a left way to go. One way is act black. The other one is become white supremacist. And his caption was, it's funny because it's true. I think I'll take my chances with the white supremacist. So it seems like online people are radicalizing themselves and it doesn't matter if, you know, real white supremacists would probably harm them if they got a, a hold of them. They're joining.
6: Yeah. You know, Clint just talked about the connective tissue. It's guns and it's hate, in general, hate. And that's what you saw in these guys' posts. You know, my colleague Brandy Zadrosny did a ton of deep diving today. And, you know, I I helped her sort through this guy's profile. And it is hatred of everyone that is, uh, you know, not uh, conforming to white supremacist ideology. Um, He started a blog post talking about how uh, his blog post was devoted to libs of TikTok, the uh, anti-trans account on the Internet. And then he ranted against Drag Queen Story Hour, and the last two words in the post were Heil Hitler. This was a guy who had a swastika tattooed on his chest and an SS logo tattooed in his arm. There's nothing complicated about this. This was a neo-Nazi, straight up. That's what he was. And uh, the confusion about the Latino stuff, it, it, it is dwarfed um, by the immense amount of evidence here. Uh, that shows this guy was wrapped up in tons of inceldom, uh, white supremacist, and otherwise hateful ideologies.
1: And Clint, let's go back to that, because the incel thing, I mean, the, um, the Graper guy, Mick Fuentes, is also sort of king of the incels, right? Is that part of the targeting? Because to me, that sounds like ISIS. That you're targeting lonely young men who are online, putting themselves inside what they think is a video game, and then whenever they cross the mental Rubicon, you can get a gun that day. If that's the day you decide to do it, you can just pick one up on the way over. It seems to me that the incel piece of it, the sort of lonely dude online, loser online thing is a big part of it.
5: That's exactly right. They are remarkably similar. Uh, Just in terms of background, you might find 90 to 95 percent similarity. The only difference would be, did they pick a militant religious ideology, you know, jihadism, or did they pick uh, white supremacy or did they uh, pick misogyny? But you would see them all overlap. And, And, you know, there are other cases where we've seen them move back and forth. Uh, very easily between those ideologies or even confuse them in the online space because it is choose your own adventure for these guys. They don't have anything going on really in the real world. Um, They need something to propel or motivate themselves. And this is where they go to do it. They do it in the online space. I think the thing that I worry about the most right at this moment today is he was maybe a lone shooter on Saturday, but he is not lonely. He's probably got a lot of online friends. So when you're looking at what's going on, I'm, I'm very concerned that this thing can trigger a contagion where you see one shooting like this that's quite spectacular. You don't know what his online communities are. I'm sure that's what the FBI and law enforcement in Texas are worried about right now. That can easily trigger or spiral out to other uh, mass shootings. So I think that's a big concern with this one. I, I could tell as soon as he got out of that car uh, in the video, and you see what he's dressed in and see what he's doing and how he's shooting. It, it was exactly what we expected and what we've seen in so many sad mass shootings around this country.
1: Yeah, it, it, it that's what I'm concerned about, too, that is becoming a fad for people that are similar to him. And one is producing more. Uh, Clint Watts, Ben Collins. Thank you both very much. Still ahead, somebody over at CNN thought it was a really good idea to give Trump a platform to spread his big lies in prime time. I'd say don't get me started, but I'm going to start after this.
4: On Wednesday,
1: CNN will grant the twice impeached indicted insurrection inciting former president an hour long platform in prime time. According to a press release, CNN will host Trump in a New Hampshire in New Hampshire, where he will answer questions from New Hampshire Republicans and undeclared voters who plan to vote in the 2024 Republican presidential primary. It is troubling that CNN seems to be participating in the erasure of what happened on January 6th. Diminishing the significance of a president of the United States for the first time in history, seeking to smother American democracy and stop the peaceful transfer of power. What's far more damning is that Trump continues to pose a threat to democracy because he has zero remorse for what happened. In fact, defending the armed insurrectionists who caused millions of dollars of damage and left hundreds of officers injured, along with five people dead, has become a key plank of his 2024 election bid
0: you get some of these judges that that are so are so nasty and so angry mean the sentences and i will tell you i will look very very favorably about about full pardons if i decide Amen. to run and if i win i will be looking mm. very very strongly about pardons Amen. full pardons
6: uh, well and deserved i
0: think that's probably going to be the best because even if they go for for two months or six months, I mean, you know, they have sentences that call a lot longer than ah, that. Years and but years. But we'll be looking very, very seriously at full pardons because we can't let that happen. What's happened here, at, and I mean full pardons, with an apology to many.
1: Ooh, an apology. David Chalian, the political director for CNN told Vanity Fair that Trump's role in January 6th, quote, makes him a unique candidate, but that it does not make our approach any different in the sense that we hold every candidate who comes to CNN accountable for their words. Joining me now is Angelo Tarasone, president and CEO of Media Matters, and Charlie Sykes, editor-at-large at at The Bulwark and an MSNBC contributor. Angelo, let me play you David Zaslav. He's the CEO of Warner Brothers, I think a conservative or libertarian. um, He's the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery. Here he is discussing CNN hosting Trump
0: what we, happened at some US of your competitors
3: divided government right we right. need to hear both voices that's what you see republicans are on the air on right. cnn democrats are on the msnbc all voices should be heard On he's the front runner he has to be on our he has to be. we're happy that he's yeah well on the last guy would
1: republicans democrats insurrectionists everybody's on the air your thoughts angelo
7: i mean I, I get a little uncomfortable with the false co-equivalences and false balance if that's the position that they've taken because it's kind of a reflection of the larger posture that CNN has had over the last year or so, which is to basically mollify all of their right-wing critics, or at least to attempt to mollify them by based, by validating even the most bad faith attacks on the network from them, and then shift their focus to try to appeal to them to come back on the channel with all sorts of concessions or sort of gimmies. And I think, you know, yeah, of course he's the Republican front frontrunner. There's, there's newsworthiness around it. It is absurd in some ways, but we have to cover it. I appreciate that. What I don't appreciate is the circumstances and the timing, it feels kind of odious, like an attempt to goose their ratings ahead of not just um, the moment that we're in, in terms of Fox sort of sliding, but these uh, this big upfront event that's happening. Uh, so I think that's a part of it. And I find that a little unsettling. And I, I think the hubbub and the frustration that's out there is as much a reflection of the fact that they're giving Trump airtime as the a lack of confidence that CNN is going to do it well. And then the format, which is, you know, they keep saying he's going to answer questions from 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 citizens. It's not about them engaging in journalism. It really is about just giving him sort of a platform. So it does feel like a laundering. And I I think that's fundamentally what the major concern is here.
1: And right. And they're making it a big deal, Charlie. I mean, the the person who's going to moderate this is formerly of The Daily Caller, uh, you know, their Washington reporter um, who did the morning show earlier. Um, But it's it, it feels to me Like this is a pretty open attempt by CNN to push itself to the right and make itself attractive and show its belly to MAGA and to conservatives, hoping that they will tune in. That's what it feels like to me. What does it seem to you?
8: Well, it, it feels like horrifically bad judgment to me, um, let's be clear about this. Um, this is not journalism. This is entertainment. In journalism, you actually will control um, with the, the questions and the answers, um, and, and, and you will have some sort of a filter for misinformation. CNN um, will not be able to filter or control uh, the disinformation that Donald Trump puts out on the air live. And CNN that will not even able, be able to control the kinds of issues that are talked about. In journalism, you would ask him about the 26 women who have alleged uh, sexual assault. You would ask him about whether or not he uh, believes that the the Constitution should be terminated. You would ask him about January 6th. You would ask him about pardoning uh, the people that attacked the police officers. Will that be what Republican MAGA leaning voters in New Hampshire are going to discuss? And yet they've given him a full hour of airtime and Donald Trump knows entertainment He's allergic to journalism, which is why he's going to love this town hall.
1: You know, and Angelo, I know for a fact, okay, because I know some folks over there uh, that some of their own, you know, people over there are very concerned about this as well. They actually have on their list of contributors, people who experienced January 6th. They're not getting to have a rebuttal. They're not getting to have equal airtime where they can talk about this. You know, they're. It's pretty clear that what they want is for him to have an unfettered opportunity to say his thing and they're not giving Yeah, and the, I Go ahead.
7: No, I was going to say that's right. And I think that's all valid. I mean, there's you know, if there, are, there are reporters, there are people that are concerned they have good that's reason right. to be. Um, because it's not just that he's out there promoting the same kinds of disinformation. He's playing using the same strategy that he used last time, but it's even more intense and worse. He's literally int- trying to organize power on what used to be considered the really far fringes. He's pushed QAnon accounts on his on his other platforms more than 500 times in the past year. That's exponential increase since 2020, all, but by him, that's not an accident. He's doing it on purpose. He's literally organizing power in what is considered a militarized movement. So this cauldron of extremism, just like your last topic that we've seen swirling and that heat ratcheting up, he's helping raise the temperature. And what CNN does in this it's forum not is not only give him the ability and the mechanics to help do that without any sort of checks on top of it, but worse, they may be playing a big part in helping validate some of those things. We don't know how the guests or the participants are there. A lot of times when these town halls are being done, the campaign gets to fill a large portion of the seats. They haven't gone and said, hey, don't worry, we're not using the same tricks that we have in the past. We're not letting the campaign fill a single seat here. We're going to go out there and do it. What's going to happen afterwards when Trump gets to announce that he went into the belly of the beast and the CNN audience was applauding for him?
1: Let me read what you said, wrote in The Atlantic, Charlie. After the release of the Access Hollywood tape, the GOP decided that character did not after all matter. Seven years later, neither the indictments for paying hush money to a porn star nor the accusations of assault or rape or disqualifying for Republican voters. In the 2024 contest for the presidency, they hardly even register. So it is clear what kind of voters are going to be sitting in that studio. I mean, David Duke ran for governor and he ran for the United States senator in the state of Louisiana. And he was the front runner for a while. And he had a good shot at it. Would they give him a town hall if he was a frontrunner for president? Mm.
8: We don't know. I mean, look, uh, the, the explanations by CNN are self-contradictory. He had uh, that quote from David in where he says, we understand that Donald Trump is unique, but we're going to treat him like every other candidate. Well, he's not like every other candidate. Every other candidate is not an indicted felon um, who may be a rapist um, who tried to overthrow the government. And again, uh, you know, in one hour um, you know, CNN says that it will hold him accountable. But the amount of disinformation that Donald Trump can utter in one hour, I think, will defy their fact checking ability. And so, you know, once again, we have the the, the triumph of entertainment um, over journalism. But also since he came down that golden escalator in 2015, um, not, you know, America has not apparently learned anything or apparently no. CNN has not learned anything.
1: Uh, the one thing Trump ever said that is true is that the media loves him that is true Angela Carasone at least some of them do Uh, Angela Carasone Charlie Sykes thank you both up next the man who dissed and dumped Princess Di is crowned King of England alongside the woman he preferred over her amid a heated debate over the former empire's sordid legacy of colonization sorry does that sound like I'm not a fan be right back This weekend, across the pond, we saw the pageantry of an anachronistic monarchy on full display at the coronation of the new king and queen of England. Not queen consort, mind you, queen. The estimated $125 million spectacle comes at a time when the country is facing economic hardship. It even featured a big old crown for the new queen and scepter for the king that were encrusted with diamonds stolen from South Africa. And while there was much celebration in the UK, there was also a lot of blowback from the other members of the Commonwealth, AKA the group of majority black nations colonized and enslaved by the British empire, especially amid growing calls in the Caribbean to sever ties with the monarchy. Two days ahead of Charles's crowning, a group of indigenous leaders and advocates from those countries sent a letter urging the new king to apologize and to acknowledge the horrific impact on and legacy of genocide and colonization of the indigenous and enslaved peoples of these nations. The letter also demands the return of cultural artifacts, financial reparations, and requests that the king help communities recover from centuries of racism, oppression, colonialism, and slavery. Joining me now is Dr. Rosalia Hamilton, chair of the Caribbean Philanthropic Alliance, who signed on to that letter. And thank you so much, Dr. Hamilton, for being here. Um, Tell us why you wrote the letter. And as you do, I want you to take a look at this picture of Camilla. Camilla which I think symbolized for me the whole point of it all. There she is standing in her very heavy crown with blackamoor statues behind her on the mantle. Your thoughts.
9: You know, when I see that picture of, um, you know, the royalty and the crown and the jewels, I think about the pain and suffering of my ancestors. That wealth was created on the blood, sweat and tears of our ancestors. And so um, the coronation wasn't a time to enjoy, but to remember. And in fact, we here in Jamaica were engrossed in a conversation, deep conversation, about what it will take to move the king as head of state and to create a republic that truly reflects the interests and the will of the Jamaican people.
1: You know, the the be interesting that the Commonwealth countries are mostly in the Caribbean. It's in Nevis, it's Antigua and Barbuda, Australia, etc. It's, you know—and Jamaica, obviously, Australia being outside, and in India, etc. Um, but when William and Kate recently came to Jamaica, I think they got a, a taste of just how angry a lot of people are at them. Is there any repair in this relationship, unless there is separation?
9: Well, yes, there can be repair with or without separation. I mean, it starts with an apology. It starts with a recognition that crimes against humanity have been committed. It starts with a process of healing and um, a promise not to continue the legacies that we see today in the forms of racism that persists today in England. Uh, Jamaicans in particular, other persons from the Caribbean, still struggling with our whole racist wind rush policy that was put in place. So th- those kinds of policies persist. And so we have to root that out and our struggle is not just to move the king, but to remove all of the vestiges of colonial empire.
1: Uh, we know that Prince Harry, he he did attend. Um, Princess Meghan um, and their children stayed in the United States. What do you make of the irony um, that the royals have really isolated and really harmed um, the, the one member who, as Harry said, it was a huge opportunity to have someone who looks more like the people in the Commonwealth? And they were like, no, thanks.
9: Absolutely. And in fact, that certainly has incensed a lot of people, because it is it's it's right there in your home. Um, you know, just a simple expression of love and caring was missing. And I think it did reach to the heart and soul of many Jamaicans across the Caribbean, everybody of African descent, that right there in the royal family, their capacity to manage someone of color was flawed.
1: And, you know, it's interesting. I mean, in the United States, of course, we do have a vice president of the United States who is a woman uh, with Jamaican heritage. Um, it's just sort of ironic, right, that the, the country that we originally sort of came from has decided to sort of treat their commonwealth as an appendage rather than as a partner.
9: Yes, you know, um, again, it's a long struggle. You know, we see this road as uh, as as part of the unfinished business of emancipation and colonization. And so there's a lot of repair that has to be done. Um, we have to see ourselves as equal human beings. We advocate for the concept of Ubuntu. I am because yeah. you are, you are because I am. We are all interconnected as human beings. And I think when Amen. we begin to live these principles, we can begin to coexist on terms that are mutually respectful.
1: Dr. Rosalia Hamilton, thank you so much. We'll be right back. Thank you. Jury deliberations are set to begin tomorrow in the Trump civil rape trial after lawyers delivered their closing arguments today. E. Jean Carroll's lawyer touted her client's consistent, credible, and powerful testimony in what she called overwhelming evidence against Trump. Trump's lawyer used his closing argument to try to discredit Carroll and the other women who testified against him, playing tape from Trump's deposition calling Carroll... A whack job. We could know as soon as tomorrow what exactly the jurors think of those arguments. And that is tonight's readout.
0: Caesar's Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesar's Rewards.